Hello everybody and welcome back to Conversations Over Coffee. In this episode, I interview Tommy Reynolds, a portrait and travel photographer based in Southeast England. Tommy has worked with brands such as Phase One, Olympus, Pixar Pro and Sigma, allowing him to travel to amazing places such as India, Ethiopia, Vietnam and Iceland. In this episode, we discuss how to work with brands, the importance of personal projects, and the importance of empathy when it comes to working with others and creating an audience. So you know the drill by now, grab a coffee, sit back and enjoy this episode. Okay, so hello Tommy, welcome to Conversations Over Coffee, good to have you on. Thanks very much for having me man, how are you? I'm good, thank you. We've just had a a few fun and games trying to get microphones working. Because this episode is a remote episode, um, thanks to COVID-19, which has put us all in isolation for a few weeks. Uh, so we're, we're doing this over Skype, <laughs> and it's uh, proving a little bit more technical than we thought. Um, but we seem to be up and running, so hopefully, from now on, it's going to work. Um, I think the first thing that I just want to... Uh, ask you about is how how you're staying uh, creative during this strange period in our lives uh, are you doing anything any exercises at home um, photographically are you uh, expanding on your digital assets um, I've been doing a, a mixture of the two I just wanted to see somebody like yourself what you're doing to sort of stay creatively sane um, whilst you're stuck inside yeah I think um I think it's interesting when you're restrained, when you're restricted in some way creatively. And um, I I know that I work better on uh, like if I've, if I've got a deadline. So when I, when there's a bit of pressure there, I actually think I work better. Cre- I, I think more creatively. And this is obviously no exception when you're restricted to your own four walls. I actually uh, found myself being almost somewhat more creative and thinking more outside the box with the resources that you only have around you here um, but, but also in the meantime I've uh, been doing what I'm sure a lot of photographers and other creatives are doing and that's looking at their own websites and updating kind of packages and pricing sheets that sort of thing and um, looking at just generally my social media and where I'm going to be going and what kind of approach that I want to do and uh, and exercises uh, I mean uh, as in actual exercises I've actually been exercising a lot more with my one exercise per day uh, currently as it stands um, and having a routine trying to get a routine because I think uh, you know creative aside I think it's good to have some sort of routine for your own mental health as well I think that's really important so making sure that I get up at seven or eight o'clock every day going straight out for a run I actually go to the park and do some pull-ups and chin-ups as well (laughs) Um, and then come back and then I make a to-do list just in the same way that I would usually and surprisingly I'm filling my days as I would be if I were (laughs) allowed to go out I'm just doing obviously all of the admin stuff which is nice but yeah uh, so that's kind of what I've been up to we're we're week two now of our lockdown and um, week one was I, I was pretty good actually so uh, hopefully week two will follow suit yeah because Sophia and I we, we came down um we we got out of London before the whole thing kicked off um so we're down in Kent at the moment which is really nice because we we obviously live in a small studio flat um and we were going to go a bit stir crazy being stuck in there for three weeks so we, we've come back down to Kent um and yeah I see what you mean about like trying to fill the days up um and sort of coming up with like admin tasks and sorting out your website. I've been doing a lot of uh, website work myself. 
Um, so if we maybe take a step back in time, um, I just want to address the fact that you've got quite an impressive portfolio under your sleeve, both in the travel and portrait world. Um, and obviously, when you are traveling, you you merge those two things together. Um, so you've been to places such as India, Ethiopia, Vietnam, Sri Lanka, and Iceland, just to name a few of the... <laughs> yeah. And also York was on there, but I uh, I wasn't going to include that <laughs> in, in the it's list. not quite as impressive when you uh, compare it to something else. Where would you, but York is go. still lovely. <laughs> York is a lovely place, but it's not quite on the same level as Iceland, I wouldn't say. Um, <laughs> but you've also managed to do a lot of uh, brand collaborations, um, such as companies like Phase One, Olympus, uh, Sigma, um, who is sort of a mutual company that we've both uh, worked with recently. Um, I, I got a contact of Sigma uh, through you, and we, we are currently in the process of organizing some video content for them. Um, and it's really interesting to see how you've incorporated those sort of brand collaborations with your personal work and your travel work and your portrait work. Um, I think the, the number one thing that I want to address is that all of these come across as personal projects. They're not necessarily commissioned. You come up with the idea and you pitch it to somebody and then they sponsor or provide some of the equipment for you to go ahead and do these personal projects. And you always talk about the the importance of personal projects. Do you think there's uh, a creative advantage to always having a personal project on the go? Oh, absolutely. I've I mean, I, I, I speak about it all the time. How it, and why personal projects are so important. And without personal projects, I would have most definitely have quit this entire industry and moved on to something else because I would have got, I would have got bored doing what I was doing at the very start, which was um, just corporate work. Now, corporate work's great and it pays the bills, and that's all well and good. But it, I, I, I wasn't as creatively fulfilled as other things, and. You know, when when photography is not your your job, when it's not bringing in bills, there's no pressure to do a good job. You can do whatever you want. Doesn't matter if you make mistakes because you learn from them. But as soon as that hobby becomes your job, it's a whole different attitude, approach. Um, it's a different mindset. So I, after a few years when I nearly quit, I wanted to get back into that mindset of what it was like when I was an amateur. Because when you're an amateur, as I just said, you don't have any of those worries about, you know, doing a good job. So that's why I decided to give myself a little goal, a little exercise to do one personal project a month. So it would be one idea for me, no one else, no uh, company would be involved. I wouldn't have to worry about fulfilling my clients' needs. I would have to only worry about my own needs, which was really refreshing when you've been a professional for a couple of years in and you've going back to what it was like when you were um, an amateur, for lack of a better word. And so doing that has made me so much more creatively fulfilled. And that is the number one thing that I love to, to, uh, to explain to people is that the key to success for me is progression. And if you're not progressing, you're not succeeding. And I firmly believe you can't succeed unless you try new things. So doing personal work is such an easy way of of becoming uh, creatively fulfilled and progressing. And then after a while, I just kind of translated and or more transitioned into using my personal work and pitching that to potential brands and collaborations, which is kind of how that, how that started and how it slowly transitioned into 
pitching it towards kind of brands, that sort of thing. So yeah, 100% I would recommend to anyone, especially professionals, especially professionals, make sure you are doing personal work to stay creatively fulfilled. And with the, the personal projects that you do, you create these lovely YouTube videos. Well, not, I shouldn't call them YouTube videos. You create videos that you put onto YouTube uh, where you've amassed an audience of about 45,000 um, subscribers, which is amazing. Um, and you, it's, it's really cool to see that there's an audience for that as well. A lot of people are very interested in behind the scenes and sort of the, the especially the travel content and the tutorials that you put out. Um, I think... I wrote down three words that I I think describe your your behind the scenes and your personal project videos best, which is story. Oh, I, can't wait to, I can't wait to hear these. Go on. Okay, so it's story, personality, and humility, and I think that really is put across in your video work. Um, I don't know what your opinion on that is, but whenever I watch, and I've been in a few of your videos as well, so <laughs> for me it's uh, quite no, interesting that... to like look back and see how you've incorporated, uh, not incorporated, interpreted um, what that day was like and uh, how the shoot went. The big thing that you always, like you've talked about, is uh, finding a creative outlook and uh, making sure you're engaging with yourself creatively if you are a professional photographer. Um, I got a question written down here. Could you be exploring a more meaningful, almost philosophical approach to photography? Um, I mean, yeah, hundred percent. I think um, I, I said this when I was um, when I was very lucky to be featured in a Sean Tucker video, and I'm sure those of you listening to this photography podcast will be aware of Sean Tucker on YouTube and. He asked me, what's uh, your relationship like with portraiture? And I'll say now what I said to him, and I think it's empathy. I think that's the, the, gr the greatest way you can get a great portrait and you can, um, you can again, be creatively fulfilled is showing em empathy. Um, I think Brene Brown says it beautifully in that vulnerability is not a weakness, it's a strength. And it's so, so true, and I, I think, um, and I, I would agree. I would agree with your three words to describe my videos. In fact, I think you describe me better than me. I, th I think that that's, that makes me sound great. Like I love those. That's great. <laughs> um, but I think that um, showing empathy and showing vulnerability is probably what makes people like my videos. I'm, I'm assuming. I mean, I, uh, I think that that's an important reason to. Uh, to, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great way to come across because there's so much glitz and glamour online and it's very, um, what's the word, it's, it's refreshing to see someone just be honest and, and uh, have that integrity and not just hide behind a filter. If things go wrong, show that they go wrong. I think that's so important to show that, to show your work, show that creative process. I'm a huge fan, as you said, of uh, showing behind the scenes. I love sharing behind the scenes. Uh, and it's all got to come from a, a place of love. So I don't create behind the scenes because I know it's going to do well on YouTube because I know full well that tutorials will do better than behind the scenes. But I love creating behind the scenes. I create it as an archive for me to look back to say, look what we used back then. Look at who we used. Look at the fun that we had then. That's, that's how I 
that's how I do it and that's that's why I make videos I never expected to get the amount of followers I have and I don't do it for that and the minute you start doing it for, for that then you're doing it for all the wrong reasons the minute you start looking left and right at trends and what other people are doing you're setting yourself up for failure I believe so it's all got to come from a place of love and a place of empathy and that's why personal work I think always will always do well um, versus a tutorial uh, well as in creative fulfillment we all know that tutorials will do well on YouTube because it's what people are searching for but I think there needs to be a balance between if you want to get a reach on YouTube okay if you want to do tutorials that's great but also I think you've got to do some personal work as well and find a balance and that's what I'm trying to do as well I totally appreciate that doing tutorials do bring in more um, subscribers and I do enjoy them but I don't nowhere near as enjoy them as much as the stuff that we've done together for sure like the ballet video we did a couple of years ago which is to date still one of my favorite videos that we've ever, we've ever produced and you've assisted me on um, so I'm not sure if that answered your question that was a bit of a tangent there but um, no yeah and I think um, the the one thing that really uh, well I, I can talk about because I've experienced firsthand is you know, we get uh, Mike to come along and film the behind the scenes, um, Michael Mowbray, um, and he makes the most like beautiful behind the scenes videos. Um, and actually, the like you mentioned, the one with the ballet dancer was done in collaboration with Sigma and they sent over a bunch of cine lenses, um, et cetera, et cetera. So even though there was that sort of like external input, it's still a very tightly knit, you know, we're all really good mates. Um, yeah we all get along so well and I think that really that, Great that shows in in the videos and I think that that just is such a testament to having a good working relationship with people but also showing empathy for each other on the shoot oh, as well yeah. oh 100% you're only as good as your team I'm a, such a firm believer of that and that's a, another reason why behind the scenes are good is because you can show that because you can't show that stuff in a final image you can't show the amount of effort that went into that image but you can give your community the opportunity to see that in the form of behind the scenes videos you can show so much more and communicate so much more in my opinion in your behind the scenes compared to your final product and because I come from a filmmaking background I'm a huge lover of watching behind the scenes videos myself and Yes, I, um, I, I always have Michael Mowbray, my cinematographer, film all of the stuff because I know what he's capable of. He's an amazing guy. I love him so much. And I know what his strengths are, what his weaknesses are. And I look after him well. And you've assisted me before. Uh, you assist me so, so well. And you're very good at being my digital tech. You even um, offer input. So I remember when we were doing uh, the shoot with Alf, the World War II veteran as well, you were... Um, not only my digital tech, you were helping me out with costume and like fixing his tires and stuff and even holding my lights when I ran out of light stands. You know, I think it's I think it's so important that you treat your team well. So that's why uh, we, always, we always go for a traditional Nando's afterwards. It has to be has to be a Nando's afterwards. It's a thing. <laughs> um, so it's it's so important that you show that and that you can show that in the form of behind the scenes and you can use that as a marketing tool. And I don't know if you want to get into talking about that, but that's how I've kind of stumbled across by accident using these behind the scenes videos as a marketing tool. I didn't foresee that. As I said, I wanted it to just be an archive at first, but now everyone just loves behind the scenes. So now I'm just using them as much as I can 
as marketing tools to go to brands and it's a great tool to use no i 100 percent agree with you um and like you said you sort of stumbled across the the market value of um showing your personality um that's sort of one of the reasons that i've i've started doing the same started up my own youtube channel and started doing things like that um but you've also said you said to me in the past that one of the big things that you found useful is if you are pitching an idea to a company or a brand they can head over to your social sites they can head over to your youtube and they can get an idea for what you're like and what you're like to work with which i think is just inherently valuable um because i think you see a lot in the commercial world where photographers turn up to a gig and they're like these robots and they just walk on set they're there to do a job and it's just a job for them Mm. um where i think you and i especially we treat it very much as like a craft rather than a job um and being able to portray your personality to somebody before you go on set, before you set up a, a personal project is, is just so, it's, it's an amazing thing to be able to do, number one, with the technology that we have today. But also it, it sort of breaks down that initial barrier. And I think the whole process just flows and works together so well um, once you've done that. Especially if it's a... Um a behind a, especially if it's a personal project as well because if it's a personal project then there's going to be genuine love there you wouldn't have set the whole thing up unless there was love there so it's just I, i'm in a weird transition now where it's personal projects are also becoming partly jobs as well which is a a different mindset but for those of you starting out then yeah you wouldn't do a personal project unless there was genuine love there so if you're filming it that that, that process then it's going to come across well and I find creative people and passionate people contagious and I like to think that other people feel that the same way as well which is why they may be drawn to my videos because I'm a very passionate guy when I have an idea I really want to run with it and I want to get it filmed as well because I want people to see that passion that I have for that subject and it's like anything I think if you're passionate enough about something anyone away from that industry could could find it interesting so it doesn't matter if uh, like Gordon Ramsay or Jamie Oliver they're so passionate about their craft and I just can't help but watch because I just the love that Jamie has for his food and the way he gets stuck in I can't help but but um, but watch him but even though it's not my industry so being passionate about what you do I think can really help drive an audience even if they're not in your industry as well yeah, I, I, I'm on the same page of you uh, as you with the uh, Jamie Oliver and Gordon Ramsay. They're just like, like you said, it's just that, that overwhelming passion and sense of achievement that they have. Um, I think, again, you can apply that to every industry you're in. Um, it's just a matter of whether you choose to or not. Um, 100%. And that's going to really impact your, your relationship with what you do. Um, but if we just move towards sort of like the marketing and branding side of what you do um if anybody goes onto your your youtube channel they'll they'll immediately get an idea of what the rest of the videos are gonna like look like in terms of um thumbnail design the titles um and engaging with an audience is there a specific way you go about doing that when it comes to like thumbnail design and and titling your videos um, so I've, I use a template which uh, I've designed, which has a distinct blue um, uh, kind of rectangle square shape in the, in the top right. So branding uh, from that point of view, instantly, hopefully people will see that that's a Tommy Reynolds video because it's the same 
uh, template. So it's very important, I think, to have custom thumbnails. Always have custom thumbnails if you are on YouTube because if you do have your logo or you have the title in the same place, then there's gonna be that recognition, that repetition, it's that consistency, which is important in, um, in branding. So yeah, so having this similar way you title them, similar way you do a thumbnail, it's surprising how far that makes a difference. Sometimes I've spent a whole afternoon deciding what thumbnail I'm gonna choose because it does, it does, uh, play a big part. And actually, do you know what, do you know what's my, uh, is, is a good tip that I'm starting to do recently is even get your audience involved with that. So I've made in the past three different thumbnail designs and I've put them out to my Instagram community and I said, which one do you prefer? Which one do you like? And I let them decide what thumbnail to have. And then if they've chose it, then they're gonna then look out for it. Once they see it, they're more inclined to click it. So even getting your audience involved in what thumbnail could be a good option as well. So yeah, consistency with that is very important. Cool. And I, I'm just dropping that in there to sort of entice people to listen listen further with this podcast. So I want to sort of go into like the education side of what you do. Um, you've got a very switched on mindset when it comes to doing things like YouTube and getting started with um, projects like that. And also how to sort of market yourself as a photographer. So that's just like a little flavor of what's to come <laughs> later <laughs> on. Um, I think the the one big thing that I, I do want to talk about is your travel work and the the very sort of impactful uh, portraits that you create um, whilst traveling. You know, the average person will go out and uh, they'll go to India and they'll go and do like some street photography maybe or they'll just go to like... Um, the holy festivals and take sort of the same same pictures um whereas you go out you you get a guide um you you you're you're going out there how do i phrase this you're going out there with the the sole intention of yeah. taking portraits of people yes yes absolutely um yeah so you, in, in ethiopia you were with the the mercy tribe um with when you were in sri lanka you went with the british heart foundation um, and you created these fantastic portraits around the people and the hardships and their way of life. Um, I just sort of want to get an idea of like how you go about delivering that from start to finish. Um, I've got written down here that you you obviously you travel with a guide. Um, That's correct. Yeah. Um, so uh, take the uh, the Sri Lanka trip is probably the uh, an odd one out because that was with a charity and I went out there um, to actually do video and that was my first big trip and it was what gave me my love to go back abroad um, with the sole intention to just take photos because I, I was only there to shoot video and in between shooting video I was taking photos for myself and it just translated into I really enjoy this and they ended up using those photos as well as the video so that's kind of an odd one out because I wasn't that wasn't my intention to take photos but after that India was my first trip where I'm going for myself and just to take photos, there's no other agenda where I've got I've got to film other bits as well. And I knew straight away that I was gonna need a guide because if I'm gonna approach people in the street, I'm obviously not gonna speak their language. There's gonna be a language barrier. And also having a guide as well as obviously to translate, they're, they're a local guide. So they're more, the people, my subjects are more inclined to say yes because it's like, okay, this Westerner is with a guide and he works 
in the city all the time so that he's a familiar face. Uh, my subjects are more inclined to say yes. It's been very rare actually when I've been with a local guide that someone has said no um, or they've said no and they want me to pay them. That's but that's uh, that's usually in uh, other parts of the world. But India is, was actually very friendly, very, very, um, very welcoming. And uh, I would not have got 80% of the photos I got without a guide. So I, if that, that would be my one tip because they can open so many doors, even to places that I didn't think were, were available to me. And in India, there was a, there was a situation where my flash actually broke and he, he said, jump on my moped and we will go to a photography shop because he was an amateur photographer himself. And oh, it was nice. the only shop in the whole city that sold photography related gear. And I was able to pick up a very cheap trigger to, uh, to uh, let me uh, finish the rest of the trip offs. Um, so yeah, without, without a guide, I would have been stuffed. So I would 100% recommend that. That's that's pretty cool that he drove you out there to do that as well. I feel like only yeah, a photographer would offer that. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, he were, yeah, he wasn't um he didn't have to do that. That wasn't within his budget. He didn't ask for money. That's what makes him so cool. And I still chat to him now. Uh, he's, um we chat on WhatsApp every now and then and uh I would love to go back not only to photograph the city again but to visit my visit my guide because now I've made a friend for life and he's always said if you ever come back let me know and I'll happily you know give you a be your guide again and open you up to more places so that's the plan hopefully in the future and was that a similar um, situation in Ethiopia Ethiopia was a bit different because that was a sponsored trip so um, but it comes back to personal work that was a sponsored trip um, with Olympus and Olympus hired me to do that because they saw my work from India and places in between that because I went to uh, um, uh, where did else I go? So obviously I went I went to Iceland and there was another big uh, oh Vietnam I went to Vietnam as well, but it comes back to personal work. They would not have hired me unless I'd done that. So I keep talking about the importance of personal work, but you you need to prove your worth first if you want to get in with these brands, if you want to do a travel trip. They're not going to hire you unless you've actually done the work yourself and self-funded a trip, something similar, you know. Um, Nike isn't going to call me up to photograph their trainers because I've never photographed trainers, so nor would I expect that to happen. But when it comes to um, Ethiopia, yeah, that was a sponsored trip by Olympus. And what was great about that was that they said, we the deliverables, we just want this... Um, a, a behind the scenes video and about 15 to 20 images. Now, that is what I bring home anyway. So in terms of deliverables, I didn't have to change anything other than the camera that I was using. I obviously had to use uh, the camera at the time was the Olympus EM1 Mark II, OMD EM1 Mark II. That was the uh, uh, the camera I had to use. So that, yeah, so it was a bit different because there was more pressure because now I had to actually deliver what I what I say I'm going to deliver so it kind of creeps from a personal project into kind of paid work but that was my itinerary to begin with um, I was going to go to Ethiopia anyway um, but it just so happened that it was costing a bit too much and I kind of put it on the back bench and then Olympus approached me and said we saw that you're planning a trip to Ethiopia is there any chance that we can jump on board and we can sponsor the trip for you so if it actually wasn't for Olympus I wouldn't have gone at all um, and I want to I, I want to reiterate that don't 
set up a project with the intention of going to a brand and if they say no, we're not gonna sponsor or we're not gonna help you out and you'd be like, oh, well, I'm not gonna do it then. Because if you have that mindset, then you are destined to fail. Then it wasn't a, per it wasn't a proper personal project. I, if, it's like Dragon's Den. You know, you don't go on Dragon's Den and, and ask for this sum of money and be like, so what's your idea? And you're like, um, well, you know, can I just borrow your camera? I might, you know, I'll do a shoot. It's like, that's not good enough. If you wanna really get in with brands, then you need to come to them with a decent idea, a decent shoot, do your research. If it's a camera, find out everything that that does, what all the features do, and then you can go to them and it, inside your pitch, you can say, I wanna use this camera because it does this. This is what I wanna deliver. This is what I intend to do. The more information you can give them, the more inclined that they'll, they'll say yes, We'll, we'll work with you and they'll let you borrow some gear and then hopefully it could progress on to working even more but you've got to play the long game with with brands sorry i know i've gone on another tangent there and uh no so. it's great it's great to to <laughs> hear you go off on one because it, you, you've got so much like industry knowledge about these these kind of things and not not necessarily like traditional industry knowledge as well it's like a lot of like social media um knowledge and how to interact with these modern day brands and how things are done with uh modern day brands it's it's almost like it, the traditional sense of being like a commercial photographer is that you would be commissioned to take some work uh, take some pictures for a brand and they, they would publish it they would use it how they want whereas the, the work that you're doing um, especially with the travel stuff is that there's that relationship between you and the brand um, you're both coming away with something that you're equally proud of um, and also there's that sort of again it's that empathy between the two of you it's sort of that and I, that's portrayed in the videos that you create um it's not like it's not cold it's not just a brand paying you cash it's like the brand mm. has enabled you to do that and they they show not only their humility through doing that and their relatability but also the fact that you are working with them in order to portray your artistic license in a way if that makes any sense yeah no that is exactly it and i think it's also worth noting that 90% of the commissions I have had, I have actually approached them. So I don't want people to think that it will come to them or if I, it, once I get, you know, um, tens of thousands of followers on YouTube, then they'll, pe people will start coming to me. It won't happen. And you still have to go out and get the work yourself. So it's, as I said, 90% of the commissions I've got, I have gone to them and pitched an idea. And that's... Uh, it's a good way to do it because if you're pitching to them, then hopefully you have a genuine keen interest in that product or that brand or whatever product that they're selling. So that's I, I only work with brands that I, that I genuinely love. So the ballet shoot that we mentioned earlier, not only was that sponsored by Sigma, but that was sponsored by Musicbed, which I had been using for three years before they even approached me. Um, so going back to my travel work, I always use the same piece of music, which is from Musicbed, and I paid to use that. And now Musicbed have now um, had sponsored that particular video, and I'm now an ambassador of them. But I would not have said yes, unless I genuinely love what they do. And Pixapro also sponsored that video as well. So if you're savvy and you can get as many brands involved in a project as possible, then that's, that's great. As long as they don't conflict with each other. So one's a um, a, modif uh, a light company who sell modifiers and strobes, ones that sell uh, music licensing and another sells lenses. You know, none of those guys conflict with each other and all of those guys are going to share my, my video, which means that I can get more followers 
to me because it's more streams that it's being sent through. And um, you don't ask, you don't get. I'm a firm believer of that. You don't ask, you don't get. I, uh, I was the one that approached Pixapro, um, which is probably my strongest affiliation I have to date. And again, the way I got that is I just approached them. And they said, what, uh, what would you like to borrow? And then the way it transitioned into working with them more regularly was I, um, I sent them a couple of behind the scenes videos. And it's interesting, I always like telling this story and uh, so, so I wanna tell your folks, but with Pixapro in particular, and this is why behind the scenes videos are so important, I said to Yang, the, uh, the CEO of Pixapro, I said, out of interest, Yang, all them years ago, would you have taken a chance on me if you hadn't seen a behind the scenes video? So nothing to do with photos if you hadn't seen a behind the scenes video. And he said, probably not. And I said, well, why is that? And he said, well, I guess with the behind the scenes videos, I could see how you interacted with the model, how you looked after the equipment, what equipment you used and how you achieved it, how you interacted with your team. And it comes back to what we were saying earlier. These are things you can't show in a final image and act as a great marketing tool. So I think that video is just, it's, it, it can, uh, what's the word? It's just so much more, like as a medium, it just does so much better on online. The algorithm, it just does so much better if you can provide video. So for all photographers, you should definitely embrace video. And it doesn't matter if, if you're not a filmmaker because with my travel work, everything is shot in auto. Nothing is manually um, exposed at all. It's all shot with compact cameras and GoPros, that's it. But you don't need to be manually focusing or all of that stuff or using full frame cameras to film a great travel video or any video with a story, because it all comes back to story. So um, again, another tangent, I'm sorry, Sam, I kind of went off on one there. You didn't even That's... ask a question there, I just carried on talking at you. <laughs> this is a, <laughs> it's really cool, I, I love it. Uh, it just makes my job a whole lot easier, I don't have to ask you uh, as many questions as I normally would. Um, <laughs> just sort of mulling over this like analogy of how your personal projects sort of appear. If, if you took a fried egg, for example, if you dig a fried egg, okay, I'm not hungry. I'm just, uh, this is my analogy. You've got your yolk in the middle, which is like the main bulk of your personal project. That's everything that goes into it. That's like the planning, the pre-production, the, the actual shoot itself, the post-production. And then you've got the egg white on the outside, which is all the brand sponsorship, or everything else that sort of encompasses the personal project, but just constantly reminding yourself that the thing in the middle at the heart of it is the personal aspect of it and that's 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 the main element then you've got that little crispy bit around the edge if you're doing your fried egg properly and that's sort of like the behind the scenes and everything that sort of like adds that little bit of something extra on top um and i think if you can present that um then it's just going to blow everything else out of the water and it's just going to really sort of show people that that is the finished product and you're also going to have that in in your own mind um that you've managed to create this sort of fried egg analogy um and everything just ties itself together really nicely oh i like that analogy and now now i now i just want a fried egg <laughs> <laughs> you should go have no. an avocado instead yeah oh i love me an avocado <laughs> but but no but it's, it's true and i think what a lot of creatives do is they plan their work, they film 
they film it or photograph it and then they post it and that's usually where the story ends but what in in my opinion that's you haven't finished yet because now what you need to do now you've got your product now you need to be pushing it now and i don't just mean posting it online because that i already covered that that was step three step four is pushing it in other ways that is going to okay let's any brand that you used in your in your shoot in your video take it to them so if you use a particular lighting company you use the camera you used anything like even down to the cables you've used if you want to get in with brands these are the ways you can do it and that's what i mean about showing a behind the scenes video is that you can't always show these great products that you're using because they're obviously all behind the scenes but once you have your product email people reach out to people and, and reach out to these brands and said hey I've used your cable, I've used your lens in, your, uh, in a video, just what I would uh, let you guys know. And I actually did that about three weeks ago. So on my YouTube, one of my latest videos is five pieces of software that you should be using as a photographer. And they're, for me, they're five pieces of software that help make me more money. And all five pieces of software, I reached out to them all and said, I've just done a video, here's the link. Uh, I gave you guys a great mention. If you want to use it, great. If not, no worries. Now, think about the language I'm using. I didn't go to them before and say, you know, if you give me an affiliate link, then I'll mention you. I didn't say it, didn't do that. You've got to make your product first. You've got to come at it with the love first. You can't just have an ulterior motive right from pre-production because that's the, that's the wrong way to do it. But what I did was I approached studio ninja which is a content management system which i use for my wedding work which is a whole different side to the business and i showed them they loved it they reached out to me and said we want to make you an ambassador now which is absolutely amazing and i'm so thrilled that i get to uh, be involved with this company now but i mentioned it because i genuinely love their product i had no ulterior motive with that but you don't ask, you don't get. It comes back to what I was saying. They didn't find me, I reached out to them. And there's no shame in that, absolutely not. As I said, 90% of the work that I get, I get myself. It, comes, it also comes back again to, if you're a student and you're just about to graduate with a degree, unfortunately, work still won't come to you. You have to be the one to go out. Your degree isn't gonna walk up to someone or, or a brand and they're not gonna hire you based on that. You've still got to put in the work yourself. So be active, be proactive and uh, approach the brand yourself because uh, there's no shame in, uh, in, in finding your own work. And that's what I do. I have an idea. Here's a personal project. Do you guys want to be involved? And if they say no, I'm going to shoot it anyway because it was my project. It was born out of something I love. If they get involved, then that's just the crispy bit of fried egg, which is like, oh no, it was the egg white, sorry. Um, then that's just the extra bit. But if it goes no further than my own idea and putting it on YouTube, I don't care. I don't care because it's my archive. It's my work. It's what I believe in. That's why I think if you watch so, if you concentrate on social media too much, if you follow, there's, I think there's such a thing as following too much of uh, social media and then you just get clouded and you can't be creative because all you're thinking of is how they're doing it and how you can incorporate it or how, what you can do. If you have to do, to do that, then I like to do what Austin Cleon does, who's a, uh, an amazing um, author. And he says, if you have to uh, um, 
take ideas from someone, then what I like to do is, uh, instead of taking ideas from one person, because that's stealing, take ideas from five different creatives that you admire. Because if you take ideas from five different people, that's research. So imagine five creatives in the same room and they all decide to collaborate, all your five favorite photographers. If they collaborated, what would they make? Well, that is what you make. That's what you make. And that's just research. That's not taking ideas from one. So that would be uh, uh, an, an idea I would, I would give you guys. And that's something that I certainly adopt when I'm trying to think of my next idea. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a really cool way to think about it, actually. I like that. Um, I just want to quickly head back, now that we've done this huge tangent. <laughs> so that sorry. Was, that, was some, that was a next-level tangent. I don't even know how you would describe that. Uh, just going back <laughs> to your travel work. Um, <laughs> God, yeah, three, three weeks ago when we were talking about your travel <laughs> work. Um, <laughs> what, what is your, your setup for going about and taking portraits of people? When I go out uh, travelling, I always take the same, generally the same gear. So I always take a 90 centimeter softbox and it has to be an open, uh, an easy open softbox for ease of use. I'm not fiddling around with any rod systems like um, Lasterlite or Profoto might have. I use, uh, as I say, Pixapro. And again, not just because I'm affiliated, but because I genuinely believe that they are the best product for me because they collapse like an umbrella. So I use a 90 centimeter softbox. I use um, a Pika 200 or otherwise known as a Godox AD 200. And I use a Canon 5D Mark III. I'm still rocking a Mark III. I am tempted with the R5 that has been announced recently. I'm not gonna lie. It might happen. I might finally go mirrorless, but for now it's my 5D Mark III. Lens-wise, it's generally only a 35mm or a 50mm. Those are the two main lenses that I use when I'm doing portraits abroad. And I know that you could use an 85 or a 7200, but at the same token, because I'm trying to get environmental portraits, I actually want to see the environment that they're in. So if, I go, if I'm going up to a 7200, I feel like I'm compressing the image too much and I want to see everything around them. So 35 and 50 are my go-to focal lengths. If I have to, I'll use the 1635. There's only been a couple of occasions where I've needed to in a tight space, but um, I've, I don't actually take a 7200 just because it's too big, um, especially on the Canon system um, DSLR anyway. Um, and the trigger, if it's worth mentioning, it's an ST4 uh, trigger by Pixapro. I was using an ST3, nothing too fancy about it really. Um, and so that's kind of my setup. So I use a AD200. Sometimes I will couple them up with a dual bracket and have a 400 watt instead of 200 watts. But it's very rarely that I've needed to use that to overpower the sky. Generally, a 200 watt will do the job. I used to use a flash gun, which I was always pushing to the limit. It was always at full power. It was always just outside of the frame. So I wanted a little bit of flexibility. So that's why I went with a slightly more powerful flash which was an AD200 or a Pika 200. So it's quite uh, almost like an artistic documentary approach where you've got two pretty standard lenses for a 35 and a 50, and then you've got some artificial light to create either contrast or to balance out the background because you, obviously you're doing environmental portraits. So uh, balancing out the sky and your subject is generally quite tricky to do if you're only using natural light. Um, and do you... I know that you travel with your mate Alex on a, uh, you've traveled with him on a couple of occasions. Is that correct as a, as a, an assistant and a, 
a bodyguard. <laughs> yeah, definitely a bodyguard. He's got much taller toes than me. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's a great light stand. <laughs> yeah. He talks Sorry, back. Alex, but you are a tall guy. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, do you find that helpful? Oh, 100%. So going back to my first trip um, in Sri Lanka, I, ha I was having to do it on my own. I was using a flash gun, a much smaller softbox, and I was relying on other people to hold it for me or a light stand. I mean, yeah, I, my focus is so off of my subject because I am just worrying about my light. Is it going to fall over? Am I, have I got enough power? And because I was using an older trigger system, I'd have to run back to the flash and physically turn the power up and down. Now with the trigger I have, I can obviously do that without moving. But having the freedom of having a, an assistant there, which means we can photograph people on all different gradients and terrains. I don't have to worry about a light stand falling over. If we're halfway up a hill, no problem, because Alex can just hold a monopod, so we don't use a light stand. It's all monopods to keep the whole thing more mobile. And if I need to ask Alex to move, I just ask him to just a little bit towards me. You know, I don't need to worry about going over, pulling it over, taking the test shot, mm, no, need to move it again. My focus can be solely on my subject and we got to the end of the week and Alex knew exactly where to put the flash, roughly at what angle and at what height to get the look that I generally go for. So having him there is not only good because he knows what I like, but also for company as well, really. Um, it was definitely needed on that particular trip. And uh, do you want to go into that? I know you've got a video on your YouTube channel that everybody should go and uh, check out. Would you fancy giving a brief synopsis about <laughs> the happenings in Ethiopia? Uh, yeah, so um, towards the end of the trip, things did go a little bit wrong. Um, I'll give you a, a very brief version, but we went to one of the, um, the, uh, the villages and we got asked very quickly to stop and get out basically. There are um, other villagers that came and saw that they were very upset that we were taking photos with a softbox. So they looked at us and thought, you guys are professionals, you basically need to pay us more. Um, so they were very angry. They were shouting at us, screaming at us, and our guide said, okay, we need to leave. They're clearly not happy, let's just go. So they're like, fine, let's go. We packed our gear up and as we're walking back to our car, they're still there, they're still shouting, they're very unhappy. And we got in the car and they uh, gave a phone to our guide and he was panicking and said, we need to go to the embassy. They were like, what? They're like, yeah, they're escorting us now, they're not happy at all. And um, so I was, I was trying to make my camera look as small as possible. So I was putting like a little pancake lens on, I took the battery grip off, I took the, uh, um, the trigger off, trying to make my camera look as insignificant as possible. And when we turned up at the embassy, quote unquote, it was just a dirty little shack in the middle of nowhere. And we thought, this is not the embassy. This is, <laughs> this is something a bit dodgy. And there was a guy there. He said, sit down. That's the only words he spoke to us in English. And then arguments then started flying over our heads. They were like grabbing us, they were grabbing my shoulders as I was sat down, grabbing my shirt, like like ruffling me up. And I thought we were gonna, I thought they were gonna, they were gonna mug us and steal all our gear because they had machetes as well. And I could see in the corner of my eye at our, um, our van and I thought my hard drive is in that van and they're crowding that van. It would be so horrific if they took that hard drive because it has all of the, 
videos and, and photos that we've taken on that trip. So I was, I've never been more scared for my life in that moment because they made us say, you have to pay us more. They basically <laughs> held us for ransom. But we couldn't physically pay them anything because all banks were shut and it was a 45 minute drive from where we were. So <laughs> long story short, they, they followed us back to our shack, our bungalow, and they waited outside all night to make sure we didn't go anywhere and escorted us to the bank in the morning so that we could pay them, pay them off. <sighs> and then we nearly didn't get home because there was a massive riot in the city. So we had to fly into the city and we got the last two seats on the plane, which was like an Indiana Jones propeller type plane, which was very dodgy. <laughs> oh, it wasn't cool. It wasn't cool. But eventually we, uh, we got back and, uh, yeah, that was everything I just said happened in the last kind of 48 hours. Everything leading up to that went so, so well. So, yeah, it was just that last 48 hours. And um, but we got through it. It's all good. <laughs> but it hasn't hasn't put you off uh, traveling, which is really, really good to see. Um, uh, we're, we're doing this over Skype, uh, hence a slight bit of latency. My, mine is having some serious issues at the moment. Um, and I can see on the walls behind you, you've got your, all your prints up. And uh, I actually went to one of your gallery exhibitions, um, the launch of it, which was which was great. Um, I don't think I'd assisted you at that point. I don't think I'd assisted you. Um, I think we had just been exchanging a few messages. I think it was before we started our sort of working relationship. Um but yeah, it's really great to see that you know, you're still doing what you're doing. Um, but like I said, it's it's a very interesting story, and I'd highly recommend anybody who's listening to this to go and uh, check out Tommy's video on it on uh, YouTube. Um, I think the first time you you spoke about that situation was at the photography show. Um, yes, to, yeah. to the public anyway. I I knew about it. Um, you told me when you got back, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just want to chat about um the photography show basically if, if anybody doesn't know what the photography show is it's like a big trade show uh, in the uk it's held in the nec in birmingham um it happens over a course of three three four days um uh, four days yeah yeah four days um and there, there are stages there are talks um and you do a lot of talks there unfortunately it's been postponed this year because of uh, the COVID-19 virus. Um, but how did you get into that sort of space of uh, public speaking and education? I think um, Pixapro, again, actually, were the ones that gave me that kind of that opener, that they they kind of gave me that, that opening for public speaking when they asked me to come along to the photography show in 2016 was the first time I went. And they said, we'd love you to come along and do some demos and sell on our stand, sell our products. So that was my first kind of taster into doing uh, a public demo, which I was so nervous. I remember the day before I did my whole demo to Mike in uh, my hotel room in Birmingham, uh, just to get his opinion on it. Um, but so that was my first kind of taster. And then the following year, I was doing the same thing again, and this time speaking on some of the external stages at the photography show, as well, um, as, well as the Pixapro demo stand. And then the following year, then I was doing even more talks, and then I then branched into doing workshops. And I have my YouTube to thank for that, I think. I think people, when they saw my behind the scenes, they resonated with how I work and liked the way I work. And so that's been one of my biggest thank yous to YouTube is being able to give me the opportunity to uh, 
do workshops, I think. Um, so YouTube for the workshop side of things and Pixapro for opening me up to do uh, the public speaking side of things as well. And uh, hopefully if all goes well, it's been rescheduled to September, but if it doesn't happen, then it'll no doubt happen again next year. But yeah, the photography show is what easily my, one of my favorite dates in the calendar as a, as a professional, because it's such a great opportunity for anyone who wants to network and get involved with speaking with brands. I mean, everyone's in one place. So if you're gonna do what we've said before about approaching brands, the photography show is the perfect place to do it. And here's a tip. If you're gonna to chat to a brand, try and speak to them on the Monday or the Tuesday. It runs Saturday to Tuesday, but if you do it on Monday or Tuesday, that's when the bosses are likely to be at the stand because they're not gonna be there at the weekends. So try and approach them on the Monday or the Tuesday, get a rapport going face to face, get an email or you know, have your iPad or some sort of portfolio there ready to go and show them or get their email and you can show them then. But get that rapport face to face and it's a great opportunity for that. So not only do I do talks, I'm actually doing less talks this year if it goes ahead because I want to have more time to speak to brands. So last year I did so many talks, I barely had enough time to do that. So this time I'm purposely spending less time talking so that I can do more networking. And that's such a great opportunity to network at the photography show and buy some cheap gear. Always, always on the lookout for gear. You and I are almost complete opposites on the gear spectrum. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm very much a minimalist when it comes to the, the equipment I use. And uh, I can see behind you your wall of cameras. Um, it's very oh, yeah. impressive. <laughs> I don't know if you've got a picture of that anyway. You should stick one up on your uh your Instagram story so people can uh, have a look at the, the, the huge volume of just stuff you've got on those shelves. Um, <laughs> yeah, away from yeah your, I will do. Your Wallace and Gromit camera to your Hasselblad 500CM <laughs> camera. It's quite, quite an impressive range. Um, Come a long way. That was my first camera, yeah. The, the Wallace and Gromit one, obviously. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I wouldn't mind a Hasselblad for my first camera. We, we've actually ended up uh, working with a similar, uh, well, uh, the same company. We both ended up in communications with Sigma. Um, I'm still very much in like the the talking phase with them, um, trying to get some sort of collaborations going with like a street journal series. Um, but they sponsored the, the ballet shoot um, and the contact that we have at Sigma is um, a fantastic lady and she invited us both to the launch of their new uh, Sigma FP camera which was a really strange experience for me to get invited out to something like that and I have you to thank <laughs> for that because that, that wouldn't have happened if you hadn't uh, have, have introduced us. Um, oh, no problem, no and, problem uh, man. So that, that was a very interesting experience. Um, I just sort of want to get your opinion on that sort of relationship between a brand and photographers and influencers etc etc um, because there was a lot of people there that who I've followed and admired for quite a few years for their work and it was just very strange seeing them in person um, mm. do you think that brand should make a more conscious effort to do things like that because Sigma itself is quite a small company yeah. um, and so I would say Olympus is, is more established, but again, it, it comes across quite a friendly brand, whereas sort of like the legacy, almost dinosaur brands like Nikon and Canon, um, 
they they don't seem to have any of that and my friend Hanina has been doing a lot of work with Canon recently um and I think Canon are on their way to identifying that they are like that that they they haven't quite progressed from making cameras to making cameras and recognizing that people use those cameras if that makes <laughs> any sense um so the, the the Sigma event was great for me because it was sort of breaking that barrier between um, a product and uh, an experience and uh, meeting people who use that. Do you think that you'll see an emergence of companies trying to break down that barrier and becoming more friendly and approachable? Uh, I think it's, I'm, I'm not, I would love, I would love to say yes, but every brand is different. So uh, I've, what I've learned over the last kind of couple of years working with brands is no two brands are the same. Everyone will have their own agenda and their own expectations on deliverables. So for example, yes, Sigma sponsored that video that we spoke about in the sense of loaning me gear. Um, they didn't pay any monies towards it. Mus Musicbed actually funded 80% um, of that video, which is why it got a big mention. So, uh, and I have approached um, uh, companies like Sigma and ask if there is a budget and some some flat out say we don't have a budget but that's just because so for example someone like Sigma I know for a fact that they have a lot of in-house people doing a lot of the creative things whereas other brands do rely on their community to give them content but someone like Sigma I know at least what they've told me is that they have a lot of their creatives in-house so they don't really need to uh pay people they're happy to loan out gear to uh, selected people who are who have a good idea but um so everyone's different whereas olympus funded 100 percent of the ethiopia thing uh, so every brand is different and i and it's it's all i think it all comes down to the pitch the project etc so there's so many different variables that i i don't think there's one clear answer so um it's it's a difficult one. It's not a, it's not an easy answer. Um, but I would love to say that the answer is yes. But I think, as I say, because everyone is different. Looking at someone like Canon, for example, and this is just a guess. I think that they make more sales on their printers and their other products, which is possibly why they don't they're not as actively involved in the community as well as Sigma or Olympus are, because they just do the cameras or just the lenses, whereas Canon are. I think I'm making more money with their printers, which is probably why they're not as focused. I mean, I would love to have a collaboration with Canon and I have had a few talks with Canon in the past with their social media team. Haven't progressed any further, I have tried. Um, so who knows, I'm not entirely sure. I'm still trying to break down Canon if I'm being honest and trying to get through um, to work with them because I would love to have that on my portfolio and to say that I've, I've, uh, I've worked with a brand that I've been so loyal with to be honest, for so many years. So yeah, I think that it's not a clear answer, but I'd love to say yes. Yeah, for sure. And if, if you know, if, if Canon was to approach you, you would, you would definitely be pushing again for that, that personal project element. Um, and I think that that in itself would break, break that down even further, that sort of the the, the guard that companies have. They, they're so focused on being a legacy brand and they don't really interact with people whereas if you were to um create behind the scenes video and say this was brought to you by canon or whatever um then you would have that on your portfolio but canon would also have it on theirs um and that 
I think could be massively beneficial for them. Um, Absolutely. And I, I would love to interject there because I've got a great point for anyone listening. And I, I think that it doesn't matter if you don't have a big following. If you can give a brand a great pitch, a great idea, it does not matter how many followers you have. Okay, granted, if you have a good following, that will certainly help their decision. But if the idea is rubbish, they probably won't go with it. Because at the end of the day, you're making content for them. They are, they're, gonna, they're gonna take that video or that product and they're gonna put it on their socials, on their following. If, cause the, if, they, if it's canon or if they have a bigger following than you, they're gonna put it on their socials. If you have a big following as well, that is just a bonus. So don't be discredited if you don't have a big following. If you've got a great pitch, then you're just, think of it as you're just creating work for them, not for your own channel to, because you've got it, because you think you've got a big following. I make it as part of the deal that I can show the video or the behind the scenes on my own YouTube channel as well. Uh, and 100% of the time they say yes. I, I did wonder if that would be a problem, if they would say no, if you make it for us, it only has to go on, our, on ours because at the end of the day, it's just more, more marketing for them, no matter how big or small your channel is. So don't be discredited if you have a small following. If you've got a great pitch, they will take you up on it. Having a good following is just a little bonus. That's, that's a really good little interjection. Um, and yeah, I, I, I entirely agree. Like they're not gonna start funding projects just because you've got 100,000 followers. They, they want to see the, the story and, and the, the ideas that you have. Um, and you've also got to remember that there are people behind everything. Um, if you can relate to somebody, um, like uh, I, I sent out a video that I, I made, I sent it to the um, the PR team at Audi. And yeah. um, the, the lady behind the, the, that email on that day um, really loved the video. And she sent me an email, they didn't do anything with it, but she sent me an email back and said, I, I really love the story. Um, etc etc and you've just got to realize that at the end of the day behind brands there are people and if you can um relate to them then you're going to get a good foot in the door 100 percent, yeah and start i mean that that's great right there i didn't know that sam so that's great that you like i probably would have uh, even questioned oh is it even worth asking Aldi? are they am i even going to get a response and i imagine a lot of people feel like that with other brands as well but like you've done and like you said, sorry, you never know who's behind it because they're human at the end of the day. And I know that from Olympus, what they've told me that um, Olympus are obviously a smaller company. So, for example, there'll be at Olympus, there'll be one person do, um, doing a job, whereas at Canon, there'll be 20 people doing that one job that that one person at Olympus is doing. So that is probably why bigger companies, you know, things might get lost in translation because it's like, well, someone else could answer that question. So they'll just wait for someone else. Whereas Olympus, that's probably why I'm, I can, I can have a better chat with them because there are a smaller team. So it's not the, the email might not get lost in translation, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, well, how, how long have we been going? We're going just, just over an hour. So I think I've just got a couple of points I'd like to wrap up on. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I always, well, my, my endeavor is to ask people um, 
for a little nugget of uh, information at the end of one of these episodes. Um, and also just a, a brief uh, idea of what you're going to be getting up to in the future. But I, I don't want to ask you, like, what's the best advice you can give somebody or what's uh, the best advice you can give a younger photographer. I think, I think a better question to ask you would be, uh, what's the most important or valuable skill uh, you think you've learned over the years? For me, I think it's to show empathy, have empathy. I think we we mentioned it at the very start. I think if you come from a place of empathy and you don't compare your behind the scenes to everyone else's highlight reel, I think if you show empathy, that's going to just make you more relatable. It's going to make you more approachable, not just on social media, but in life. I just think that that's how you should treat people anyway, is with, a, with integrity and empathy, because vulnerability isn't a weakness, it's a strength, as Brene Brown says. So I would, I would say, have empathy in everything you do. Perfect. That was a very, very nice answer. I was expecting something like that from you. Um, and I, I think that sort of sums you up and the work that you do very, very nicely. Um, I think just finally, um, what is next on the cards for you? I know it's, it's a very uncertain point in time at the moment. Um, I have no work lined up at the moment. Just nothing. Everything's been cancelled. <laughs> I'm like looking at my bank account. It's going down every single day with bills going out. Um, and it's just... I think for photographers and self-employed people, it's very, it's a very stressful time. Um, I just, you know, just a, a brief interjection from you to say, you know, how you're coping or what you, what you've got going on. Um, not necessarily what you've got on the cards for um, work uh, or a financial aspect, but what, what have you got on the cards for yourself and how are you uh, staying sane? Well, life-wise, I'm. Um... I'm in, I'm in the midst of buying my first home with my fiance and I'm getting married. So I'm doing a lot of uh, big life changes right now. And I mentioned briefly about the, uh, I have a different side of my business, which is the wedding side of things. And uh, because of where, what, where we're at at the moment, it's probably unlikely that I'll do a lot of traveling, even when things go back to normal because it'll probably take a while for things to kind of properly get back to normal for me to start going abroad. So because of that, I am gonna be focusing a lot more on the other side of my business and that is uh, wedding photography. Uh, I'm getting a lot more work when it comes to wedding photography thanks to some pieces of software that I now have in my arsenal um, that are helping me gain more clients, which is a whole different conversation. So wedding photography and also the teaching side of things as well. So now I have three websites, I've got I've got my portrait and travel, my wedding side, and I have now one dedicated to training. So offering one-to-ones, online coaching, which is now available, um, and a place where I can hold workshop dates. So moving forward, I'm actually doing, gonna probably be doing less travel and doing more of the wedding side of things, purely because again, not just because of COVID, but because I am getting a new house and, uh, getting married so I'm in super saving mode right now and at at the moment weddings just pay me a whole lot more than than anything else so um but I still enjoy it and it's a whole different conversation we can have about just wedding photography but that's what I'm concentrating more on I think this year if we go back to normal and you've also got your your own podcast that you're on with uh two friends 
Yes, yeah, I've got my own podcast as well called The Tog Pod, which I am a co-host with my um, fellow hosts, Alex Benyon and Chris Ord. Uh, we're at diff all different parts of the country and we just get together like this and we just chat about latest news and photography. Um, we don't really monetize it. It's just an excuse for three mates to chat about photography away from our other halves that don't really want to listen to it or understand it. So it's just a, a place for us to vent out and also talk about mental health as well. So if you do want to check that out, you can find that on all platform streams. Just type in the TogPod. That that was the most concise um, uh, little plug I think anybody's ever given on, on this podcast. <laughs> Very oh, good. Thanks. You had that one lined up. Thanks, um, <laughs> well, thank you so much, Tommy, for coming on. It's been really thank great. Um, we, we've we shared many uh, Nandos and we've had good uh, <laughs> social more. chats in, in the past. So, But it's been really nice to get one of them um, on record. And I think a lot of people will have found... Um, your insight into uh, things such as um, traveling and uh, brand uh, collaborations very very helpful um, so if anybody wants to find you on social media where do they go um, if you want to find me on Instagram it's Tommy Reynolds 89 uh, Facebook Tommy Reynolds photography and just type Tommy Reynolds into YouTube and I should pop up somewhere <laughs> perfect um, so yeah I think we're just going to wrap it up here uh, thank you very much uh, for coming on um, thanks very much thank Sam you thank you for everybody who's listening to the podcast and uh, yeah have a safe one so that was my interview with the one and only Mr Tommy Reynolds I really hope you enjoyed this episode um, a lot has changed since Tommy and I recorded this episode um, we are living in unprecedented times that is for sure um, Tommy actually just released a really really cool episode on his YouTube channel um, where he did a photo shoot with five portrait photographers over Zoom. Um, they took control of his camera uh, through the remote app, um, which is a really cool concept and the results are very interesting. So I'd highly recommend going and checking out Tommy's YouTube channel. Um, he's already plugged where you can go and see that in a very efficient manner. Um, but yeah, definitely worth a watch. And of course, a massive thank you to everybody who has listened to this podcast and previous episodes of Conversations Over Coffee. Uh, I really hope that you have enjoyed listening to them. I've really enjoyed making them and putting them out there for people to listen to. Um, be sure to leave a rating and a review. It really helps push this uh, podcast out to other people. Tell your friends, your family, your neighbours, anybody who you think would be interested in hearing me interview fellow creative individuals. And if there's anybody or any questions you would like to send in to future guests, be sure to email me at samholtcoffee at gmail.com um, and I'll be sure to pass those around and get those answered for you in the upcoming episodes. But enough of me rambling. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and be sure to tune in to the next one. <laughs>